Welcome to another edition of First Impressions. This time on the show, we're lucky enough to be talking to regulars on the first podcast, Aaron Leverett, a self-confessed academic, and Desiree Sacher, whose presentations on the taxonomy of improving SOC use case analysis has inspired a recent talk they gave at the 32nd annual FIRST conference, which was held online. We take the time to talk to Aaron and Desiree about their experiences doing online conferences, their research, as well as changes to the way we're working and the effect it has on SOC analysis. We join the interview in progress. Um, and am I supposed to start this conversation with like long-term listener, first time call-in? Well, you, you, you do now. <laughs> it's already being recorded because this is supposed to just capture conversation. There we go. All right. Well, I'm glad that I started this conversation in pure chaos then. <laughs> Doesn't everything start in pure chaos? It does. It does. Yeah. <laughs> so who wants to kick us off with a topic then, uh, at least to warm up? Well, I would actually, both of you, how is the pandemic affected you this year and how has it made you look at security as at security as a career differently? <laughs> so um, I might just want to start. Um, me personally, it has affected in a way that I, I pretty much went off social media in spring because I just noticed for myself, it was becoming too much drama and I, like the biggest thing for me was I really had so much drama when I was checking the news. I didn't, I wasn't able to like consume any more. So that's pretty much, I shut myself off and really just went to direct communication. And when I was preparing the slides and everything for the talk, it was like harder for me to focus. And um, because it was just for a long time not on my main focus especially when the the whole uh, conference also was postponed um that just for a long time i had a chance to put it off and that was weird for me because i'm usually not that type of person i usually have like a goal and a plan on how to reach that goal and when suddenly i have like delays from outside that affected my way of working so that was interesting for me <laughs> i think the delays are have really been a, a defining factor for me a lot, over the last six or, or nine months or, or nine years as it feels is like you just slowly over that period of time people went from responding very quickly to things because they were at home and it was a lot easier to respond to just drifting away and, and slowly responding less and less and less over that period of time. It's kind of harder to get information from people now. I mean, I've been working from home for almost 10 years now. So the first part of the pandemic probably was filled with a kind of, um, I don't know, like an elation, like, oh, now everyone knows how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> but it works differently when everyone's doing it uh, than when you're doing it on your own. And I'd say one of the things that was surprising is that even though I've been doing this for like 10 years, there was definitely a change in structure to the home life and the ability to make my schedule with work match with my home life just went out the window. Um, my son stops and starts school, you know, so some days I'm homeschooling him and some days I'm not. And I never really know like when that's going to be based on when their bubble changes their mind. And so all of those things have like 
impacted yeah some of the some of the ability to work um but i i'd say that i kind of i approach maybe maybe my answer to the question or the way i want to answer this question is that i thought a lot more as well not just about my personal experience of the pandemic but the the pandemic responses as opposed to an epidemic response is so different and it got me thinking about in our field we're pretty good at doing the kind of like, shall we say, epidemic response. Sort of teams gather, two or three of them, and they get something done. But when it's like really on a global scale, you know, international systems kick in and do stuff in the pandemic. And I feel like, or don't, right? Yeah. But I mean, they try and they and they plan and they plan ahead. Um, and you can argue that some of that planning ahead was ignored uh, for too long. But yeah, I, I just I sort of wonder, could we achieve some of that global cohesion on the same scale if we had you know, reason to do so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, also for, for security perspective, I mean, you said it perfectly right. If you have like an incident response case, that's something that is like perhaps active for, it's really, really intense for two weeks or three weeks and then up to four weeks. And then you start to get into a normal mode. And usually after three months, you might have still things and changes that are remaining, but you usually have a new way of how you deal with things. And here it was just like, everyone was asking, do we have a problem? Are we changing now something? And everyone was looking to somebody else to decide for that if you now actually do have a problem. So that was really interesting as well. well there's, there's no handoff, right? So it's not like, like I'm handing off to a different time zone or you know, we've been bursting at maximum capacity for a week. Let's hand this off to you know, the second team to, to take this on. I think the other defining factor is there was no, there was no end point, right? You couldn't say mm -hmm. this is going to happen for a month and at that point we're going to call it. It's like you can't call it. It's a pandemic. It's, it's, <laughs> yep. you, you call it when it ends. You don't call it when you just say, "Okay, we've we've reached the end now. Let's wipe the system and move on." Mm. Yeah. And some of that decision making too. I think it, it flows around like what is and isn't a catastrophe. You know, like I'm going to be. This is a very Aaron answer, but like um, I'm going to be a bit glib. Like earthquakes have a scale, right? Floods have scales. Like storms have wind speeds. Like there's some consensus around, is this a big deal or is this not a big deal? And even with the pandemic, you know, some of the responses weren't what we wanted them to be, but everyone pretty much agreed it was a big deal, right? Um, so yeah, I wonder, do we lack some of that um, consensus around what the scale of a problem is, right? Should we be well, more, worried, more worried about breaches or APTs or <laughs> ransomware or, or DDoS? <laughs> it's, it's sort of like when you're set you and the security team are saying hey this is a big deal this is a vulnerability in our software and the marketing team's trying to say oh no it's no big deal don't talk about it don't even worry about it and you're having that continual fight where you're seeing the same problem from from a very different reality hmm. or maybe i'm just wrong yeah, I mean, completely i mean it's it definitely is a thing about the perspective you give to things and it has certainly given us a different perspective or at least for me i mean realizing that we of course we had um, vulnerabilities and things that were exploited and patches that had to be rolled out and whatever but um you also had these other issues that were affecting 
more people right now and they were like getting way more attention and you definitely from a security point of view realized you're not the only priority <laughs> yeah certainly like business continuity management suddenly takes over and it's like security has said you cannot work remotely yes <laughs> that that decision is now null and void how do you make this work while yeah. in a pandemic while trying to do the best for the business the best for security you're building the plane while you're trying to take off and that's a stressful environment for anyone yeah absolutely <laughs> so you made a good point Erin, about the you know measuring like so there's a richter scale you know there's a there's all these scales that we look at to say how big of an issue is this and this is a big issue but previously things that we've said these are big issues globally suddenly they've dwarfed in comparison to what's going <laughs> on right now so you may have yeah. said the previous top of the scale was a 5.0 and now this is an 8.0 suddenly you're having to reimagine even if there was a scale sure yeah and i mean i guess that's what i admire about like the Sapphire Simpson and like richer scales is, is, you know, they're grounded in some physics. And so even if you've never seen the, you know, the 10, you've got a sense of like where it stops, you know, where the dial actually stops. And, and we just don't in our profession, which is weird, well, but I'm, true. Right? Truly it's some zombie apocalypse is, is 10, <laughs> right? So what are we at now? Yeah. Like a six maybe? Yeah. Uh, probably, I don't know, slightly higher. Don't you think? I don't know. We've I mean, definitely got some uh, fake news zombies out there. Right. I guess it depends on what country you're in or what you're from. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things you guys both mentioned about most security events is there's, even if it's not a, a hard end date, you reach a peak of where you go, okay, I've responded, I've done everything I can. That's, that's generally not more than a month or so out. I mean, and even that in a lot of cases is, is a, a pretty long event. We've been going at this for nine months now, 10 months now, and I don't see that we're going to be, I mean, it's, it's December, and I don't see that before next May, June, at the earliest, we'll, most of us who are not in top-tier high-risk groups will get, um, get vaccinated, um, that we'll see us actually able to turn to some semblance of normal. Am, am I wrong, or on either point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think we'll be going back to normal. And certainly when we were studying a variety of different catastrophes at the risk center, we saw the same thing, like economics changes, it doesn't necessarily restore. So, you know, while some of us might be going back to work because there's um, vaccinations and so on and so forth, I don't see, for example, the number of people flying around the world going back to normal for at least another couple of years. Um, so yeah, some of what we considered normal before is, is just over for a while, I think. I miss well, flying. <laughs> you do? Well, okay, I don't miss flying. I miss being places that are not the same four walls that I've been looking at for the last nine months, well, six months. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that I agree on, but I, I feel like, I feel like to, to your point, Martin, this isn't like, this isn't, an incident that we've been doing for nine months. We did an incident for maybe two months, three months. Now this is the new normal and the new reality that we have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. I, I don't see the same 
the the same chaos and the same kind of confusion that you had in the first few months where people are like, I don't know if we can do this. I don't know how we can solve this problem. I don't know how we should address this. Now it's, we have a problem, but we address it in the new way that we've been addressing problems for the last six months. I mean, what I also see is that uh, we definitely, or I personally, I became a lot pickier on what I'm actually getting my attention to and what I focus on. So I do look very much forward to seeing you all in real life again. <laughs> but um, I don't. But I don't think I will be at this many events just because I really also like the option to have like streams of the interesting talks and seeing them. But then as soon as I manage to, because I mean, during office hours, first was amazingly well done and i'm really happy how the event well how the event went and everything but uh, i personally couldn't attend all of the talks live so just having the option to afterwards check out the recording and see it in my own time and things that was really helpful for me personally and mm. i like this is one of the things that i really like now with the change that was forced on us can you lose so much Right, you, you lose that personal contact and a lot of what FIRST is about is meeting those people, talking yes. about things. It happens outside of the room, right? You do the presentation, mm -hmm. but then outside of the room, you get so much value. I did a, a talk besides San Francisco, like just before lockdown, and I got so many good discussions after that that, that took me in a whole new direction. It's like, okay, I didn't think about this. These are things to consider. And it really kind of sparked the interest in continuing in that kind of topic. But that doesn't happen if you just hang up the presentations over. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I also, when I attended first there in Edinburgh, it was my first time there. And I loved the conversations in the evening and all the chances that you could like talk to people, also meet new people. And you definitely don't have that this easily um, when you're just online attending something. Yes. Well, and the, the ability to take that break from your day-to-day -day normal job and go do something that's still security related, that's still important to what you do, was actually pretty powerful. And I kind—I also have to mirror what Chris was saying. Having been a podcaster for almost 20 years, well, 17 or 18 years now, um, I really like the fact that I can go and have a conversation with a speaker, that I can go and either interview them or just say, hey, I'm with the, po with the, the conference, I wanted to hear more about what you have to say. Now it's okay. That presentation is over. Now I've got to just, I've got a function switch to my main job again. I've only had one hour away from the, the, the talk or one hour away to listen to the talk. It's just not the same. Yeah. And you're in the same chair at the same desk, looking at the same computer screen. Right. Yeah. It's, sometimes uh, as like a change is as good as a rest and a lot of people these kind of conferences they allow you to take that break from your day-to-day -day and and you know re-spark the joy re-spark the interest yeah absolutely i mean that was probably also one of the harder parts just be like have to constantly to refocus and i mean as bad as it was for me i constantly had like emails popping up from work so i mean i I really took off everything else offline while I was giving the talk, but the rest from the conference, I always had things coming in that I had to take care of because they felt like a fire that had to be resolved. And so my attention definitely wasn't full on the conference. So that was my own fault. Yeah. I know that. But I think online conferences, 
more easily make us do this, trying to like do it all instead of having this one single decision where we focus on one thing then. Yeah. I mean, when you're at the physical conference and there's five talks on that you want to see, you really do physically have to choose one. Whereas like in an online conference, you're sometimes like switching between channels or something and you're not really paying as much attention as you could. I certainly missed firsties all over the world, but equally, a lot of them reached out to me. Um, I mean, I guess I feel lucky in the sense that, you know, I've been going to first conferences since 2012 or something and um, made a lot of friends over the years and, and connected with people. And, and even like outside of every first event, some of us will go hill walking, right? And it's, it's almost like an informal club of the same people. And usually there's a couple of new people that, that show up every year that I didn't expect would want to come walking with us. But whatever country we're in, we're going to do that. Um, those same people have been like texting me pictures of going for walks in the woods in their respective countries. And that's been really refreshing and really like nice. And it wasn't just around the conference. It was like all year round. So it's just like, you know, here's some mushrooms I found in the woods. Here's some uh, pretty trees. Here's a nice sunset I got. And then you just sort of knew it was the, the informal first walking club, which is which was nice. It was actually really uplifting during parts of the pandemic. Yeah, pre presenting. Most of, most of, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I think most of my pandemic's been more about um, the first bring a bottle. But yeah, certainly <laughs> the, walking, the walking also has an effect. <laughs> so one of, I mean, I've done a few presentations, not during this time, but before where I had to present to the screen in front of me with no audience feedback. And I quite frankly will not present at a, a online conference without a, a co presenter or something because I just cannot handle the monologue. I know this is surprising, Chris, but I can't stand in front of a screen and monologue about the presentation for 45 minutes without some sort of, of feedback mechanism. And I just don't see that with, with online presentations. How do you guys deal with that? Well, there's one, there's one advantage to me uh, of doing the online presentations. And that's that I don't walk home with a salad. You know, people used to throw vegetables at me at every <laughs> presentation. And, and it was nice to have a salad afterwards, but I, I don't think they meant it nicely. And it's, it's kind of, you know, the online uh, experience is different in the sense that I don't have to, to clean rotten lettuce off my shirt. I guess. To, you, I guess you also don't have to watch people as they stand up halfway through your presentation, shrug, and then just walk out. Exactly. <laughs> maybe maybe that's just me, but yeah. I, I mean, you, you kind of you see them you know, as they log out of the room, though. So I guess you you do get it's the same. Kind of the same, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you I mean, do see when there's less participants suddenly when like the number is dropping. That's what we could say. <laughs> But I mean, also, that was really interesting. We had a poll at the end and that was like giving you feedback on how many people were like act actively listening because yeah. they managed to even get the poll on time. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, mean, I guess that's one of the positive effects, right? If, if everyone is in front of their computer or in front of their mobile device while they're watching it, when you end the presentation popping up did you enjoy this yes no you're going to get more feedback than you would do if people just say oh well the queue's kind of long i don't really want to say hi to the the person who gave the talk i'll just talk to them later so maybe you get more statistics through doing it online yeah maybe yeah and i mean what i personally like was there was some direct feedback like people um being happy about the talk and this is something that's 
I mean, this is now stored in the internet for like all the time. <laughs> so it's like I can always like go back to it. So um, for me personally, it was that was a good part. Although, I mean, having this um, online presentation, I was really happy that Aaron was with me because I really think that being a lo only like a presenter is harder. I mean, it, it was hard enough also that they um, took the presentations to 20 minutes. So uh, I don't think there was any, except the keynotes, there was no presentation that was longer than 20 minutes. And 20 minutes is possible, but it's really hard if you actually have like some content that you want to get through. So, um, so it's, yeah, it's, uh, the, it's the right, right amount. <laughs> it's the right amount of time for people's attention spans, but that doesn't mean yes. it's the right amount of time for the subject you're discussing. Um, but I think I think you just liked having me along as a presenter because people throw the tomatoes at me um, more often than they throw them at you. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> so, sounds like we need to uh, invent a virtual virtual salad toss to, to throw there a salad you at you yeah there you go. there's a, there's an app that needs to be created for that so you can have like <laughs> online presentations and throw vegetables yeah. <laughs> i'm just thinking i've yeah, got a co-worker who can't say hello in less than 20 minutes yeah 20 minutes i mean that's going to be basically my about me slide right right yeah, exactly so <laughs> so i, I guess one, one question I did have about uh, the presentation you did. did, did you change what you talked about because it was an online presentation, right? Other than the, the restricted time limits, did you think this is something that is going to resonate better if it's an online presentation than an in-person or, or vice versa? Um, no. And I'm afterwards now not sure if that was a good thing, to be honest. Because so in retrospect, I was wondering if I actually put too much content in and if it would have been better to strip it down even more. Yeah, I didn't change uh, my part. And it's worth saying, like, I only had a very small cameo in the talk and that was kind of by design because otherwise, you know, I'll, I'll speak too much. I'll fill too much of the presentation. But um, it was nice to use what Des was saying as um, a springboard into certain interesting nuances of risk-based discussions and so like i enjoyed that um but i didn't change it because it was going to be an online presentation that said would i have no i'm still pretty happy with it but it in the if, if it was in a, a physical venue i think i would have found the two or three people that wanted to chat with me about that afterwards and that would have been the very rewarding part for me whereas like you said you know you finish the presentation you down tools and then, you know, the kids are screaming. <laughs> so. Yeah. So I, I feel like a big part of presentations for me when I've done them badly, but I've done them, is is that trying to have that stage presence of like talking to the audience. There's a slide behind you, but it's not about the slide, right? It's about what you're yeah. saying. It's yeah. about how you're saying it, how you are gesturing as I gesture on the camera, knowing this is a podcast and it's not going to come through. But it, being, being the person people are looking at as you give the presentation. And as soon as you give a presentation online, the entire screen is filled with a slide where if you're lucky, you're in the top right-hand corner, like with a small little picture of you on a camera, you lose so much of that body language. You lose you know, pacing backwards and forwards and trying to point things out and you know, your general motions are just gone, right? It's just a face talking at you with a slide. And I exactly. feel like, I feel like it, it loses so much. 
Um, the only way to keep that motion is to use something like Prezi and hope people don't feel seasick. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know, not, not being able to hear people laugh or, you know, clap spontaneously. Is, that, is that really a problem for your presentation? It is. Though? Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, like, okay. I like to... I like to make fun of myself a little bit and have a bit of a laugh. And let me give you an example. Like, I think I you've given us a dozen a bunch examples. Of, <laughs> I've been uh, giving lots of presentations in the last 10 years, like over in various Scandinavian countries, right? And like you crack a joke at the beginning of the presentation and no one really laughs. And you, you know which country you're in based on whether or not anybody laughs. <laughs> now, maybe that's just because I'm not funny, but it seems like people do actually laugh in other countries when I give presentations. Um, and I, I kind of enjoyed that, right? Like, even if they didn't laugh, it's feedback from the audience. And you're like, okay, this is an audience that is serious and wants to be serious, and so I'll be serious. Or this is an audience that wants to be silly and learn a few things while we're having a few laughs. And, and you can't. You can't take that forked path, choose your own adventure presentation approach online. Yeah. I mean, I usually, the last time already, I had like a really new idea that I wanted to spread. And it was amazing for me to be in this room in Edinburgh and watching the people like clicking and understanding what I'm trying to point out. And this gave me a good feedback on where I should be spending more attention on and what I can like hop over now. and this feedback was not there at all. So this was like really big challenge because I had again this this new idea thing that I wanted to spread. And this time I really just took the concept and adopted it to new areas. So it wasn't someone who understood what I did the last time, probably could follow up along well as well. But for everybody who was new, I probably just lost them. Mm. And um, I didn't even see it. I couldn't even react on it. So that was something that I was personally not that happy with. But um, I, and, yeah, it's hard to change. <laughs> and um, what was that uh, talk that you gave to us? What were the, the highlights of that particular talk? The one last year or the one this year? The one this year. I mean, I know I was there, but I'm I mean, queuing you, queuing you up. I mean, I'm, I'm the straight man in this conversation. I got to give you a question. I mean, smooth, smooth segue there. I loved to show. I tried. I, I love to show how, um, and this was, I mean, I loved your feedback on it because we had all of these amazing categories all over vulnerability management and integrity compliance and showing how this can actually report it and put into risk management and how it's actually affecting the company in a whole. And that was the interesting part that Aaron could give us feedback and experience on. And just like giving this all a new perspective if you actually track the right things again. And I'm still convinced that this is like the way to go because I mean, I have seen only a few security operation centers that are completely happy with their own company and how security is set up there. So everybody else needs to find ways how to illustrate the problems and actually make the right focus. And I still think that the best way to do this is by creating facts. And yeah, so that was, yeah, that was the thing that I was most excited about to like make bridge this gap and show this. And uh, it's one of the reasons why Aaron and I, we still want to follow up on with it, with like giving or say publishing a paper about it as well. Um, so we're not yeah, completely really, done yet. <laughs> it was great talking about it. It was almost more fun working on the presentation sometimes than, I mean, well, it was than giving it because of the lack of feedback and yeah. dialogue. One of the things I like to come to first for is to present work that 
you know, has controversies in it so that a dialogue is born in the room. And like a number of times I've been at first and someone's, you know, shouting something at me from the audience or, <laughs> or, you know, and that can be, that can be a pro or con, you know, in the context of what I'm talking about, but I go home like re-energized and impassioned about something and thinking, yeah, they were right actually, or no, they weren't or whatever. Um, and in this case, you know, that, that wasn't there, but in the, in the presentation itself, you know, I could see, um, Des talking about these really interesting elements of being inside a sock and particularly being inside a sock that, that serves externally facing customers. And, you know, that old phrase, like if you have a hammer, everything's a nail. There's a lot of things that go wrong in a sock that, that people just try and apply more technology to like, Oh, it's not working. We need more technology. We need better intrusion detection. We need to, there's alert fatigue. We need to like find better heuristics for not putting up too more, too many alerts. And what I loved about Des's approach is like, wait a minute, this isn't about the alerts. This is about the contracts and the SLAs making unreasonable demands. My soft team, and so she suddenly was using all the metrics that she gathered to have an external dialogue to the to the soft team and start to start to say, look, these problems flow from, you know, the um, admin team or from the access management team or from the customer or from even our own contracts people creating these unreasonable pressures on our team and I thought that was super cool right yeah so you guys have both really highlighted how the numerology the, the statistical analysis yes I know numerology is the wrong term um, is really important it's cool though I like it is really important to this type of effort but how do you turn that into a story because that's what your marketing people need. That's what you're, I mean, and I'm asking from a purely selfish uh, um, standpoint because, hey, this is part of what I do. How do you turn that around? And, and rather than giving marketing or giving the sales team statistics and say, hey, you've got to look at what you're doing to my team here are the statistics. How do you actually turn that into a, a story that they can, can understand? Because quite frankly, none of them are going to be as passionate about the effects of all of these calls as you are. So you need to, to give them that story that they can understand and internalize to make, to understand how it's affecting that team. I mean, isn't that teaching empathy to people? It's <laughs> empathy, insecurity. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like showing other people how, Others who have been doing their job for a really long time actually do have a reason why they do it in a certain way, even if it's not the way you would do it. I mean, I guess that's one of my benefits of have been working in IT um, and IT security for like 15 years already. And like being in different engineering positions, you just, if you once was the file, were the firewall engineer or the network engineer or actually did the DNS registrations and whatever else there was, I mean, and, and you have troubleshooted that stuff, you kind of know that there's usually a reason why the people do the things that, that they do. And so you're not coming in from on a high horse. And so having like showing this different perspective is really what I try to do with the taxonomies and what I think we all need to like develop a little more, like being able to accept other people's experiences and don't value them less than our own. I mean, I think there's always that help me help you style discussion that needs to be had, right? Where it's like, if, if we get 25% less alerts from 
from this alert source, right, this firewall, I can better review the logs that we do have, which means they're more accurate, which means that we're less likely to come back to you with silly questions that are not particularly relevant because we have more time to actually dig into it. So you give us less, we'll give you better quality, right? Or you give us um, you know, less of a certain type of thing, we can spend more time doing this other thing that you really care about. So trying to portray it in a way where it's not just beneficial for you, but it's also beneficial for the other people who you're serving, you know, people are selfish, right? They, they want something for themselves. So if, if you're asking them to do something, you need to give them an upside, right? Which is better quality, faster responses, more detail, less hassle, less work for them, right? All of these things are, are valuable. That's actually the most valuable one, the less work. <laughs> because I have so many departments in my company where that's like the main thing. If I, sh if I point them out in a conversation, how they can save time or have less responsibilities or less work to do if they let me do this or solve this problem this and this way, that's usually the way I can get them. And um, I mean, I do understand it even because it's very logical that they don't want to be blamed for stuff that they can't control. And so, yeah, I've, it's, I mean, I've, a few years ago, I had like a really interesting development training and I eventually started to not only have technical development trainings, but also um, like more management-ish stuff. So one of the things was actually like how you can um, control or steer um, conversations and things like that. And one of the amazing things that I learned back then was the Harvard concept. And I mean, there have been books written about it, but it's really just like if you want to reach a goal, you usually have to know what is the key things that you want to um manage to realize and you want to find out by the other party what is their key thing that they have to realize what they can't get um like miss on and then you try to find the way in between and how you can make both parties happy and i mean this is pretty much i, I think it's a wonderful concept and very well described way better than i could put it down now into words but this is really like the way that i have managed to create most solutions and um, I certainly would hope that more people knew about the way that such things could be um, approached. That's how you persuaded me, right? Like, uh, <laughs> let's do a let's do a present presentation together. Um, you don't need to do that much. You can just do two or three of the slides right at the end. I'll say most of it. Uh, you can just swan in, drink a cup of tea, and do a little cameo. I was sold. I was in, right? <laughs> and, well, and I'm, I'm guessing your rider was that you know, Aaron gets his name first on the presentation, but you do most of the work. I yeah, was obviously. just really happy to get his perspective on it because I thought I can't be talking about risk management on the stage without him. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. I think you, you had a presentation all on your own, and I was happy to say a few things because it was like a really good springboard for some of those things I want to talk about. But you've given this presentation many times when I wasn't present, and you've built on it each time with new work. So this is this is Des's work. And like I said, it was a cameo and it was a pleasure. It was a real, you know, it was an honor just to step in and say a few things that were relevant instead of my big long rambles about metrics that no one wants to hear. <laughs>
So uh, how, how should uh, other presenters approach you, Aaron, for a cameo in their presentation to talk oh, about? Oh, come on. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm thinking about a presentation right now with a friend of mine, and, and I'm thinking I'm going to need a cameo. Um, there think, you go. Even if you just come on at the end with a beer and just say, risk, and then that's it. <laughs> I, I would do that. I would do that for you. I, I, yeah. But we've, we've, we've been to some of the same parties, and I have a, a deep affection for uh, you and your work. So... Um, the, <laughs> The best place to stop that sentence, I think, is right well, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's um, it. And, and that's it. The end of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 you know, going back to what Martin was saying, partly to do with the pandemic, but but also I think just genuinely true. Ten attention spans are good for about twenty minutes, and if the same person is talking for more than twenty minutes, you're losing your audience. Don't get me wrong; I'll try and talk about something for an hour because I, I'm passionate about the topics, but I know I'm losing my audience while it happens. Um, I know it's hard work. And so I much prefer doing joint presentations or even three speakers is great if you have an hour long presentation. Um, and then you have to rehearse a little bit, like you know who's gonna say what, when, but you don't wanna be over rehearsed. You gotta have a little bit of the dialogue like we're having here. So it can be a challenge, but I, I would rather do a presentation with other people than alone, if I'm honest. Yeah, second that. I mean, isn't isn't the danger? I mean, some of the some of the presentations, team presentations, as as, as I think of them, is you know, there's three people on stage. Someone does the first ten minutes. Someone does the next ten minutes. Someone does the last ten minutes. And you're like, this was effectively just three separate know, three, presentations. Yeah, it's three separate presentations <laughs> where like someone goes, and now I hand off to to Bob to talk about the next section. And you're like, yeah, the next presentation, right? And then they they literally walk off stage. It's it's done. They're finished. And I. I don't feel the same about those kind of presentations because yeah. they don't hold your interest, right? They're, there's not a conversation going on. There's no back and forth. There's no, you know, two, three people's input on a similar topic. It's just one topic, next topic, next topic, finished. And when you're physically in the same space as each other, you can cue each other on that a lot better. Like, you know, if I, if, let's say Des and I are standing on a stage and she's speaking, She's making all these great points. And I just want to interject briefly. I can take a step forward and she'll probably see that and leave space for me to say something. And then it could just be the, like one or two sentences that, you know, make a certain point about what she's saying. And then I can step back and she knows like, oh, I'm going to keep going with the rest of the presentation. Virtually, that just doesn't exist. We kind of have to speak over each other just to say one or two things. But um, but in this particular case, like, you know, you touched on it before, Chris, um, the lead author. I mean, you were joking, but I think there should be a lead author on things. And I wasn't the lead author on this um, or lead presenter. And that made it really easy because then, okay, I just have to do two or three slides and be relevant to what she's already talking about instead of talking about, you know, whatever topic I'm working on. I mean, to be honest, I'm working on a completely different topic at the moment than, than we talked about. Um, but it was nice to take a break from that and try and say something relevant about risk uh, with respect to SOC metrics. So one last thought from me, which is the technical side of, of actually just getting an audio set up. I mean, hopefully most people are much better now than they were at the beginning of the pandemic. But I've got, I mean, because of the podcasting, because of all this, I've got several professional quality mics. I've got mixers. I still see people giving presentations, and and I'm not going to point any fingers at Chris, um, who are using the mic in their laptop to um, to do this, and it just drives me nuts. I mean, how was for you guys? How was the technical side of of 
doing a uh, of having a better audio and what are some of the worst things you've heard in meetings and stuff of of just people having really bad audio mm. uh i'll put my hand up right here and just say i'm i'm that person like I use my work microphone in the laptop and my colleagues are making fun of me for like not having a better microphone. And I have these headphones and they just don't integrate with windows because nothing I do integrates with windows. Um, I'm a snob, but, uh, but seriously, like I, I try to use better audio and, and it just doesn't work. Eventually, like literally my kids had to buy me microphones and uh and show me how to hook them up um okay it wasn't them i know how to hook up a microphone but i'm still not sure if this was sent to me by an apt it was gifted to me as part of a conference because i think they knew that i wouldn't have a decent <laughs> microphone and i'm still not convinced that it's not got a hardware implant in it but you know i'll use it sometimes so i still have like a leftover headset from former work that no one wanted back so i've been using this through all of the pandemic and my biggest fear pretty much was before there was a background that they distributed that someone might be seeing what there is in my room. So like, I am more <laughs> at that privacy concern. And the other thing that I was concerned about was I'm in Germany and internet connection isn't always that stable <laughs> or that well. So I was more worried about like getting a lost connection right before or right during the presentation or so. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I know from my side, I've had a, a reasonable professional setup for a long while, but I haven't really used it for video conferences. And it wasn't until I was working from home that I decided, well, I have all this hardware. I should plug this in and use this. Uh, and, and at which point, like three or four people in my you know, immediate and partner teams all started to pop up with condenser mics and, and professional setups. And it turns out that they were they're all jealous. So they started to buy the mics. So <laughs> highly recommended. Invest exactly. in your own setup. Embarrass your coworkers into getting better audio quality. Wow. That is actually genuinely good advice. <laughs> so I need to start using mine to embarrass the people I work with. Okay, cool. Yeah. Those that are capable yeah, I mean, of being yeah. embarrassed. Yeah. Next step would be multiple camera angles and the ability to change camera angles on the fly. So you're in a meeting and yes. you just go, let me change to my other camera so you can see the whiteboard and just changing. At that point, you've you've really jumped the shark. Actually, well, since, I mean, since you've... we have had managers, you have like different devices, like uh, iPhone and the tablet and um, a laptop and everything. And they have been or have had the chance to change cameras perspective all the time already. <laughs> Just not sure if I want to be one of those. <laughs> um, one, this, this is vaguely on a similar topic, which is let's call it let's call it uh, online meeting party tricks, right? Uh, wouldn't work on this podcast for reasons that will become obvious in a moment. But um, as I mentioned before, I go walking, and I've been reading these books by this uh, by this guy about natural navigation. And the gist of it is, you know, sun roughly rises in the east in the morning, sets in the west in the in the evening, and around noon it's kind of in the south, at least in the northern hemisphere. Okay, so you use this trick to kind of figure out which direction you're walking. Now I've been using this trick for a while, and I'm doing a lot more walking, and it's because become less cerebral and more like ingrained in me. So one of my new party tricks is sitting in meetings and go, yeah, but Kevin's desk faces south. And everyone's like, how do you know that? I'm like, well, you see how the sun is on this side of his face. <laughs> um, so what kind of cool <laughs> online meeting party tricks have you developed during the pandemic? I mean, does that really work for people like us who just 
you live in their mum's basement, right? It's just like <laughs> I, I, my, it's dark behind me. It's dark in front of me. I have to buy a circular light to shine on me so that I could be seen in in video conferences. So, I mean, to be fair, I never know what time zone you're in. It's like hacker summer camp with you. Like you could be in Vegas one day and Germany the next, right? This is true. This is very true. And some of us I, actually I, have professional lighting and stuff in our office. No, I don't have professional lighting. I have cheap lighting that still mimics the same side of uh, of uh, lighting that a real person would use. The kind of lighting that will eventually start a house fire. <laughs> I think. I, mean, I, think, I think one of my. Uh, one of my favorite tricks that I've been using like, ever since I started working from home is if I have back-to-back -back meetings, I attach my laptop to the TV or I Chromecast to the TV and I use a Bluetooth headset and I can sit on my, on my couch in my office and I can do meetings and then use a different laptop to actually do work. And then people, when they dial in, it's like you're sitting on a sofa and you're not just sitting in front of a screen. And it's it's yeah. so much more comfortable if you're spending like six hours on calls back to back to just disconnect from one, connect to the other one. It's it's nice and comfortable. You can you confused me when you said something about you actually doing work, Chris. I mean, I'm I, you lost me there. <laughs> okay, it's mostly Dungeons and Dragons, but occasionally uh, I'll be on a work call. That's good. I miss D and D. Me too. I need to do it. Just do it online. I mean, I it's like D&D &D Beyond, Roll20. I, I joined a group that are in London and Amsterdam. You know, it just doesn't matter. Online role-playing is awesome. But I spent so much of my life at the computer anyway. Like, I want to get away from it. I want to go walk in the woods. I know, it's crazy. So LARPing? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, I, I used to have LARPing tendencies, but then I got it checked and got some treatment i guess the question is is solo larping still larping or is it just a crazy guy in the forest slashing at a, a tree with a sword it's a good question and also i thought you weren't going to tell anyone about that sorry for me sorry. larping is pretending to be an adult and have a day job i mean that's as close to larping as i get <laughs> yeah, that reminds true. me of the suit i'm wearing every day <laughs> yes <laughs> So you still go to the office, right? So, yes. I mean, out of everyone here, I, I, I went to the office to pack my desk three months ago, and that's the last time I went, I think. So I think, and everyone else's work from home. How, how is that being still going to the office? How does, how does that, please tell us, please. It's <laughs> interesting. I mean, you mostly have like empty floors everywhere. So I was just like joking around today that we could actually like have like games and things going on on the floors <laughs> like, there's these long hallways that are all empty and the weird thing has been that some of the coffee machines have been turned off and not been repaired on time so this is stuff that is bad <laughs> but apart from that um i mean it's i usually end there for like perhaps two or three days a week and it's nice to see people in real life so that is when the yeah. when the coffee machines are turned off, that's a hint. You should it's work not, from home. It's not all yeah. of them, but you need yeah. to know which one. Yes. <laughs> the um, I I started at Airbus like literally the same week or something that we realized, at least in the UK, that that we were in a serious situation, and so I went over there at some point to pick up a laptop, and I haven't 
been back to the office since, and I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to move there, right? And we had to postpone it because of the pandemic. So, anyways, uh, I'll try and wrap this whole story up. But my colleague on my project is a wonderful woman called Matilda Road, and uh, I got introduced to her online. I have still never met her in person and we've just delivered like a 12 month research project. And she's one of my favorite people in the world and I've never met her in person, which frankly I ought to be used to because I've been a hacker for a long time now and some of the best friendships are online, but it still feels like super weird and super cool that I know the names of her family members and her child and we work together and we get excited about the work we do, but we've never you know, physically been in the same office or had a beer or a coffee or anything. Yep, there's definitely a lot of beers to be had once this all is over. I hear that you can also drink at home, but I'm not sure I believe it. I I, uh, I, I had to, to actually quit drinking um, because I don't want to use that as a, as a method of dealing with the, the stress because that, well, let's just say that my family has a, a history of that leading to bad things. Legitimate. Yeah, totally. yeah, and Martin makes bad choices in the best of times. So yeah, uh, Chris, look at you. Is, yeah, just look at just look at the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll I'll put my hand up to you. Like when we were in Scotland, I might have overdone it a little because it's you know a place I used to live and it's amazing. Um, but you know that is one side of conferences that I don't miss is the hangovers. Well, I think with that in the rearview mirror, I think we'll we'll draw a close to this. Thank you very much, Des. Thank you very much, Erin, for joining us and talking to us about live presentations online and uh, amps, you know, drinking habits um, and <laughs> various challenges that we face right now. Uh, it's been real fun talking to you, and I hope we can do this in person real, real soon. Yes, please. Thank you for yes, having please. us. Yes. Have a good one. Bye.